Hello everyone and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez and I want to thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, a special message by Pastor Rick. God says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 1, And God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then from there, God begins to unpack what we call the Ten Commandments. Here's the one we're going to look at today, verse 13. You shall not, what? Yeah, murder. Now with that in mind, listen to what Jesus says about murder. Mark 7. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, and what? Yeah, murder. Well, stop right there. Everybody grab a seat at all of our campuses. And I want to set all this up today by sharing this with you. My little wife, Rhonda, loves, 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 loves horror movies. Oh, yeah. And for her, the scarier, the better. <laughs> not, not for me. For me, life is already scary enough without going to a movie to invite it in. However, however, on occasion, just so I can be with her, just so I can sit down with her, I will, on occasion, go watch a scary movie with her. In fact, I was thinking back this week on one of the first scary movies that I watched with Rhonda. This movie was called When a Stranger Calls. How many of you have seen that, heard of that? Yeah, there was a 1979 version of it, which is the one we watched. I think there's an 06 or an 08 version of it. At any rate, it's one of those movies that has you sitting on the edge of your chair with suspense or even like covering your eyes in fear. So for those of you who haven't seen it, let me give you the quick skinny on When a Stranger Calls. To begin with, the movie begins with this young girl, maybe in her early 20s, when she goes to babysit in this, this mansion of, of a house. And folks, as you, as you might imagine, other than the children, she's in this big house all by herself. Now, I want you to slip into the scene. Because as night begins to fall, the phone rings. She thinks it's her boyfriend. It's not. It's a killer. It's a murderer. And he starts up with her with the stereotype stuff that Typical uh, stuff that you would think about. He starts up, she answers the phone, he hangs up on her. He calls again, she answers the phone, he starts up with the heavy breathing. She hangs up. He calls back again and he starts making verbal threats to her life. And as time goes by, she becomes more and more fearful to the point that, to the point that she calls the police. And the police tell her, we can't come out there. We can't do anything unless you, unless you see somebody. So they tell her, lock the door. But folks, as you're about to see, it was already too late for that. Now, I want you to stay in the scene 
because the calls, the threatening calls continued to come in. And I was wigging, I mean, she was wigging out. Yeah. Because the guy starts telling her he can see her. In fact, he starts describing to her exactly what she's doing inside the house. He says, I saw you when you went to the kitchen. I saw you when you put the baby there. I saw. So she calls the police and she says, he can see me. He's telling me he sees me. So the, so the policemen say on the other end, okay, okay, we're going we're gonna to try to trace the call. In the meantime, she starts peeking out the windows to see if she can see him out there. In fact, she, she opens the door to see if she can see him outside in the yard, to see if she can see him outside behind the shrubbery, to see if she can see him outside the house, out there in the trees. But then the unexpected happens. The phone rings. She picks up the phone. It's the policeman. And the policeman tells her something that is so fearful that she drops the phone. The policeman says to her, he says, Jill, 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 we've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Take a look. Stop calling Jill, me, you listen to me. We traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. You hear me? It's coming from inside the house. Right now. I, I know it's cheesy. I know, I know it's cheesy. But, but you get the point, right? Murder was no longer outside the house. Murder was now inside the house. And folks, are you ready for what happened after she received that call? You ready? Here's what happened. You're going to have to rent the movie to find out, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but let me turn a corner and bring that all over to our series on the Ten Commandments. Because what an image, listen, what an image of what can happen to you and me on the inside of us. And by that, I mean just like murder breached the door and got inside the house. Folks, just like that, and this is my proposition today, murder can get inside us. Murder can get inside you, and murder can get inside of me. And when murder gets inside of us, it will not only kill life, it will kill peace of mind, it will kill happiness, it will kill joy. Now you might be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Blackwood, time out. What do you mean murder is going to get inside of me? I'm not going to murder anybody. What do you mean it's, a, it's not only a killer of life, but of peace of mind? What do you mean by all of that? Well, listen, we're going to find out. As we look at the words of God in Exodus chapter 20 and, and the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 7. So at all of our campuses, how many of you have your listening guides? Wave those in the air. Yeah, this is one, one that you really want to take notes on. Grab a pen, grab mascara, whatever you need, lipstick. Fill in the blanks on this because you're going to want to pull this out at some point in the future. Two fundamental thoughts about murder. Here they are. Number one, if you're filling in the blanks. Murder is a physical act. 
Murder is a physical act. Some of you are thinking, well, duh, we knew that. You brought us here to tell us that. Well, well, you know, bear with me because I'm going to go somewhere with this. But with that in mind, listen to Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And and again, God goes on from there to unpack what we call the Ten Commandments. Here's number six, verse 13. You shall not murder. Now stop right there and put your theology caps on. Theology is good for us from time to time. Let me give you a little theology about murder. So write this down as A and B. A, murder is the intentional killing of a human life. Murder is the intentional killing of a human life. You get the idea in verse 13. You shall not murder. Everybody heads up. Because that word murder that God uses there, that's a translation of the English from the Hebrew word ratzak. Ratzak, by by the way, your, your Old Testament part of your Bible was originally written, not Greek, but Hebrew and then translated to English, Spanish, French, whatever. But that word murder, ratzak in the Hebrew, means to intentionally and unlawfully to kill another person. That's what murder means. Now, with that in mind, God says, you shall not do what? Murder. Now, folks, there you have a strict prohibition by God himself against killing another human being unlawfully. Now, don't get me wrong. God does not prohibit us from killing another human being in time of war or even in a time of self-defense. In fact, God says there's a time to kill. As a matter of fact, listen to what God says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Listen to this. God says there is a, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be Born and a time to die. Yeah, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Verse 3, a time to what? Kill. In other words, there is a time and there is a cost to kill another human being, and the time is war. The time is self-defense. As a matter of fact, you realize that over and over again in, in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israeli people to go to war and to kill other people. Why? It was time to do that because it was for the preservation of life. It was for the safety of life. So God does give that exception. But listen, aside from that, aside from that, aside from war and self-defense, write this down as B, a little more theology, God outlawed killing, murder, to protect the sanctity of life. And here's why. Write this down as little one and little two. This is so fundamental. Every human life exists because of a decision of God. And by that, I mean every human life comes into this world by a sovereign act of God, by a sovereign decision of God. Put another way. You were conceived in your mother's womb. Your heart began beating in your mother's womb. Not because of planned sex or unplanned sex between your your parents. You came in this world because God 
planned to bring you into this world. God made a decision to give you life and to bring you into this world. And listen, for one human being to terminate what God started is a grave sin against God. That's why God outlaws murder. But secondly, write this down. Here's another reason. Every human is made in the image of God. Genesis 2 says we're all made the image of God. In other words, there's something of God inside every one of us. It's his image. It's his, it's his likeness, the Bible says. It's his reflection. Do you realize that you have never come face to face with any human being, I don't care who they are, that was not a reflection of God himself? Now don't get me wrong, we're not God, but Scripture says we're like God. We're a reflection of God. And so for one human being to murder another human being is a great effrontery to the image of God. In fact, God gave a judicial system. And God said, if one person murders another person unlawfully, the person who murdered is to be put to death himself, herself. Now, I want you to understand that with all of that being said, here's what we need to understand about this, this commandment. You see, if, if, if there was no law against murder, if human beings could just randomly and arbitrarily go out and kill each other, and there was no law against it, human life itself would be almost impossible to, to exist because, because all humanity would be in a constant state of fear. Somebody going to kill me because it's lawful, anybody can kill it would be in constant state of fear, of chaos, confusion. And so right at the beginning, the second book of the Bible, God outlaws murder for the protection of humanity. By the way, by the way, the first murder occur occurred in Genesis chapter 4. In other words, we're not four chapters deep into the Bible until one human being kills another human being. Cain. Everybody say Cain. Yeah, Cain killed his brother Abel. Remember that? Cain became offended with his brother. He then became angry with his brother, and then he started to hate his brother, and he went out, drug, lured him out into a field, and he murdered his brother in the field. Tell you what, hold on to that thought, because I'm going to come back to it. For now, I just want you to walk away with this on this point. Here's what we need to know. Murder ends as a physical act. But here's what you need to know. Write this down as big number two. Murder begins within our hearts. Murder begins within our hearts. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 7. Watch this. For it is from where? Yeah, it's from within. Watch this. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality Theft and what? Murder. Now stop there because Jesus exposes sort of the birthplace of murder. In other words, murder ends in a physical act. But listen, murder is born inside our hearts. And check this out. Check this out. This is so important. 
Murder can get inside our, our hearts through a series of thoughts in our minds. You get the idea in verse 21. Listen to it again. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Watch this. Sexual immorality. You know how sexual immorality gets in a person's heart? Through a series of thoughts in their minds. Theft, he says. You know how theft gets in a person's heart? Through a series of thoughts that get into that person's mind. And then he says, murder. And how does murder get into the human heart? Through a series of evil thoughts. In fact, write that down as A. Murder breaches our heart through evil thoughts. In other words, folks, watch this. Just like in the movie, murder breached the house through the door. It was through the door that the murderer got inside the house. Just like that, murder gets inside the human heart through the doorway of evil thoughts that get into our minds. You see, listen, this is so important. Murder is not just an action. Murder is a condition that can be in your heart. You may not murder anybody, but you can have murder in here in your heart. And I want to give you the three thoughts that can put murder in your heart. Are you ready? Write them down as one, two, and three. Thought number one. Here it is. You offended me, and now I'm offended. In other words, somebody did something to you, said something to you, treated you in a certain way, and you, you felt that was an offensive thing, and not only did you feel that it was offensive, you then became an offended person. By the way, have you noticed lately how everybody seems to be offended? Is it just me? Or does it seem like everybody is offended about something. I remember a time when if you were easily offended, that was seen as a character weakness, not anymore. In fact, if you don't have like a badge that you wear that says, I'm offended by this, why you don't fit in? You need to find something that offends you so that, so that you can fit in. <laughs> in fact, I was, I was at a church in Charlotte a couple weeks ago when I was on vacation, and the pastor preached about this very thing. And it was so funny because he, he was talking about the Bahamas, and he actually likes the Bahamas, but he was making this point in this sermon that he had preached in another place, and he was talking about spirit-filled Christians versus smug Christians. And he simply said, he said, I'd rather be in a desert with a bunch of spirit-filled Christians than in the Bahamas with a bunch of smug Christians. Well, that went online, and the people from Bahamas... Uh, he started reading the emails. I'm offended at what you said about the Bahamas. I'm offended. You've never been to the Bahamas. I'm offended. I'll never listen to you preach again. And then he went on to talk about how people are so offended today. So take a look at his sermon. This is the sermon I heard him preach. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we are now living in the age and the era of offense. Have you noticed? that it seems like everybody everywhere is perpetually offended about everything all the time. 
everybody is now offended. It is as if victimhood has gone viral. And being easily offended is no longer seen as a weakness in your character, but is now your constitutional right to be offended. Oh, you got a right to be offended. Oh, that didn't offend you? Oh, I'm offended for you. Everybody is offended. It's like we're no longer living in the USA. We are now living in the USO because everybody is in the United States of offense. Everybody's offended. Men are offended. Women are offended. The millennials are offended. The baby boomers are offended. Democrats are offended. Republicans are offended. The atheists are offended. The saints are offended. The New Orleans saints are still offended. You know we're supposed to be in the Super Bowl, right? We were supposed to be. Everybody is offended. Vegetarians and vegans are offended. Oh, what do we do with our offenses? Our offenses. You remember that game, uh, Operation? That board game? This is, this is before Fortnite. They had these, these board games, and, and there was a patient on the board game. You had to get the tweezers. You had to get like his heart or his organ. But if you hit the wrong spot, the patient on the board game, his nose would light up and turn red. That's you. That's me. All of us have offenses that if the right person hit it, your nose would light up like Rudolph. What do we do in a culture of offense? Too funny. Wow. Yeah. Great message. Listen, did you know, did you know Jesus spoke about people being offended as a sign of the times? Yeah. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 24. The Bible says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. And then shall many, as he said, shall many be what? Offended. Do you realize that, that the, the, the amount of offended people today is just a sign of the coming of Christ? Now, folks, I want you to follow me here because this is so important for us to get a handle on. People are going to offend you. It's just a part of life. People you love are going to offend you. People you like are going to offend you. People you don't like are going to offend you. People you work with are going to offend you. People you go to school with are going to offend you. People on US-1 are going to offend you. It's a part of the human factor. You're going to be offended. But listen, it's one thing for somebody to do something and you view it as offensive, but there's a line that you cross when you become an offended person. In other words, being offended is a badge you wear. Being offended is, is, is the way you define yourself. And here's how it typically happens. Somebody says something to you. Somebody offends you with their words. Somebody offends you with their behavior. Somebody offends you with their treatment of you. And what you then do is you, you start playing that around in your mind. It's like one of those old VCR tapes. Remember these from back in the day? It's like you plug that into your head. 
And it's a loopless tape, so you just let it roll and you go, oh, look what she, and the video starts to play, look what she did. Look what they said about me. Look how he treated me. Look how she treated me. And you play it over and over and over the offense in your mind. And when you unplug it, finally, guess what you are? You're offended. (laughs) And you put that tape away for safekeeping. You know why? Because you're going to want to play it again. You're going to want to look at it again. Look what she did. Look what they said. Look at how they treated me. And you keep playing it over and over and over and over again in your mind until you become in a constant state of, I'm offended. I'm an offended person. Folks, here's what you need to know. Playing that tape over and over of, I'm offended, I'm offended, is not benign because playing that thought in your head and over and over will steer you to the second thought, and that is, write it down, you offended me, and now I'm what? I'm angry. I'm angry. In other words, because you won't let the offense go, because you won't get over the offense and you play it over and over, you not only become an offended person, you become an angry person. You ever met people who were, who were pervasively angry? They're just agitated about everything. They're angry all the time. And I'm telling you, anger, once it gets in your head, will burn inside of your head, inside of your mind. Example in point, Cain. Cain. Listen to the narrative, Genesis 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel kept flocks. He was a shepherd. And Cain worked the fields. He was a farmer. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, the Lord did not look with favor. And so Cain was very what? Angry. In other words, Cain wasn't just angry. Cain was very angry. In fact, the word there, angry, very angry, that phrase is a translation of hurrah in the Hebrew. And hurrah, yeah, it literally means to burn with anger. It means, it means anger is burning like a, like a forest fire out of control in your mind. And as it burns and burns and burns, you become an angry person. By the way, Cain wasn't just angry with Abel. Cain was angry with God. How dare you not accept my offering? How dare you? He was angry. He was offended by God. And God calls him out on it. Listen to verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? Cain, how did you become an angry person? And God knew how he had become an angry person. He had played, I'm offended, I'm offended by God, I'm offended by Abel, over and over in his mind, till he was not only an offended person, he had become an angry person. Again, have you ever met people that are just angry? 
I've got people that I know that, that I wouldn't even ask them how they're doing. <laughs> right? You know, because I know what I'm going to get. I'm, they're angry. They're, they're agitated. And they're just going to start spilling. It's like, a, it's like a battery that's being drained when somebody starts just telling you, I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm upset. I don't want to hear it all the time. But there are angry people. But listen, listen, it gets worse. Because the constant burning of anger in a person's mind opens the door. And here's the worst one, to thought number three. You offended me, and now I hate you. I hate you. To hate somebody means that you despise their existence. To hate somebody means you wish you could get rid of them. To hate them. Listen to verse 7. Watch this. This is so explicit. God says to Cain, Cain, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, watch this, sin is what? Sin is crouching, Cain, at the door of your heart, and the sin is murder. God is saying, Cain, you don't see it, but I see it. Murder is trying to get into your heart, and the doorway to murder into our hearts is hate. In other words, just like the murderer breached the door, the doorway to get inside, to put murder inside the house, God says when there's hate in your heart, when you allow hate to exist, I mean hate in your mind, when you allow hate to be in your mind, it becomes the doorway for murder. To get into your heart. You see, folks, let me say it again. Murder is not just an action. Murder is a condition of your heart. You may never murder anybody physically, but you can harbor murder in your heart. And watch the effect when hate gets in your mind. Watch this. If you do what is right, God says, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, murder is crouching at the door of your heart. The door is hate. Watch this. It desires to what? To have you. God says, Cain, you've got hate in your mind. And hate desires to have you, Cain. It desires to own you. And let me tell you, folks, when you harbor hatred in your mind, you allow yourself to despise another person. I'm telling you, hate will shepherd your mind to very dark places. Let me say that again. Hate will shepherd your mind to very dark thoughts. In fact, listen to, listen to what God says to Cain. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face what? Downcast. The, word, the Hebrew word there is nafal. Why is it so depressed? Why are you so depressed? You see, harboring the feelings all the time, if I'm offended, I'm offended, and playing the tape over and over, and what they did to me, and then becoming angry and having hate in your heart. Listen, it will murder you. It'll put murder in your heart, and murder in your heart murders you. It murders your peace of mind. It murders your joy. It murders your freedom. It murders your happiness. By the way, hate in your, thought, in your thoughts will not only lead you to dark thoughts, but hate in your mind will lead you to dark actions. Listen to verse 8. 
Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. This is premeditated murder. This is first degree murder. Let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Why? Because he allowed himself, first of all, to get offended. Then he allowed himself to become angry. And then he became literally hateful. So folks, what do we do when these things are in our mind? When we constantly play that tape. Look how they offended me. Look what they did to me. And we become angry and agitated. And we begin to hate people. What, what do we do with those thoughts? Here's what we do. Write this down as B. What do you do? Turn to, turn to your neighbor and say, get over it. Turn to your neighbor on the other side and say, get over it. Yeah, I'm not just making that up. Listen to what God says. Cain, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, murder is crouching at the door of your heart. It desires to have you, but watch this. You must rule what? Over it. Translation, Cain, get over it. Cain, let it go. By the way, do you know that most of the things that offend us, that we think we're so offended by, doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. My little 12-year-old granddaughter, Autumn, I picked her up at school the other day. She got in the car. She started telling me something that had happened, something somebody had said, done. And I said, Autumn, listen to me, it doesn't matter. She looked at me, and so I put on my God voice for her. I said, Autumn, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I've heard that like in the sermon. Autumn, and I said, Autumn, you say it back to me in the God voice. So she says, Papa, it doesn't matter. Turn to your neighbor and say, it doesn't matter. You see, folks, listen, this is where so many relationships could be saved. If we could just learn to say, what you said was offensive, but I'm not going to become an offended person. What, how you treated me was offensive, but I'm not going to become an angry person. What, how, how you treated me was bad, but I'm not going to allow hate to get in my heart. In fact, here's what I'm going to do to keep all of that out of my heart. In the words of a wise Swedish girl named Elsa, here's what you got to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, let it go. <laughs> now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, Rick, that thing you did with Elsa there, kind of cute. That's, that's pretty cute how you put all that, that, that together. That's pretty cool. But how do I let it go? 
That sounds so easy, Rick, but how do, I, how do I get it out of my head? How do I let it go? I want to give you three ways and I want to close. Number one, forgive. Amen. Forgive. Listen to what God says. Get rid. You want to know how to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. You say, how do I get rid of that? How do I get that out of my heart? Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now, folks, this can be hard to do, but this is a powerful way to get all of this out of your head. Forgive that person. Forgive them for what they did, for what they said, for how they treated you. You say, but Rick... How can, I, how can I just forgive them? You don't know what they did. How can, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they offended me. How can I just forgive them? Here's how you do it. Listen to verse 32 again. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How do I do that? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You want, to, you want to figure out how to forgive that person who offended you? Think about all the ways that you have offended God. Think of the things that you've done before God that you wouldn't want anybody in this room to know, but that God has said, carte blanche, I forgive you. You're forgiven. How can you accept the forgiveness of God and say, well, I'm not going to forgive the other people? You see, when you start to realize how much God has forgiven you, it becomes pretty easy to forgive other people, doesn't it? Forgive them. And then write this down as number two. Forget it. In other words, refuse to play the tape. Just forget it. Just don't let that thought get in your head. In fact, think of what God did for you with your transgressions. God said, as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? It's infinite. As far as the east is from the west, God says, so far have I removed your offenses, your sins from me to be remembered no more. God says, I don't even remember what you did. I forgot it. I refuse to play that anymore. You get to heaven, uh, you say, God, you know, I, I'm so sorry for what I did back there. God's going to say, what, what'd you do? I, oh, that? I forgot that a long time ago. Forgive that person and forget it. Don't let it take up free rent in your head. And just play it over and over and over again. And then finally, reach for, write this down as number three, freedom. Freedom. You know, we just celebrated our nation's Freedom Day this, this week. God wants to give you freedom up here. God wants you to have freedom in your mind. You, you remember in the movie Braveheart, one of my favorite movies? You remember what he said just before he died? With all that he had within him, he said, freedom! Everybody say freedom! Freedom! Everybody say freedom! Freedom! Yeah, have you ever noticed how successful people, have you ever noticed how happy people are? They don't look back at things. They're always just looking forward. They don't, they don't carry all that luggage with them. Have you ever met people who just had that ability to just 
forgive, forget, and move on. And, and you know, you might be the kind of saying, but, you know, don't we need to talk about that? No, let's see what we got ahead of us. Let's cut that loose. Let's don't look in the rearview mirror. Let's look through the windshield. That's what successful people do. And that's why, because they're not carrying all that around with them, because that's not all draining them, they have the energy to press on. Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and striving forth for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Cut it loose. Let it go. Get over it. So, I want to help you do that today. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to think of that offense that you refuse to let go of. That offense that you sort of carried in today and that you play over and over again. Look what they did. Look at the anger. But I want you to I want you to identify that offense in one word. Now, I don't want you to, to identify a person. You'll see why in a moment. We don't want to put this as a person. We want to write down the offense. So, everybody has a card like this. And what I want to ask everybody to do, everybody participate at all of our campuses. I want you to take a moment and write down that one offense. I want everybody to participate because if everybody doesn't participate... If you go to write down your offense and you realize you're the only one writing, you may go, oh, I'm not doing that. You know? So if you don't have an offense that you're carrying around with you, write no offenses. That would be perfect. But write down in one word. It might be someone lied to you. Someone cheated on you. Somebody cheated you. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody hurt you. Somebody gossiped about you. Someone let you down. Someone stole from you. Someone attacked you. Someone racially attacked you. Someone mocked you. Somebody abused you. Just take a moment, one word, write that down. And we're going to do something with it when you finish. Everybody write something, please, at all of our campuses. Here's what I want us to do. When the service is over at all of our campuses, as you exit, you're going to see these buckets like that. They're going to have dirt in them. And, you know, psychologists tell us sometimes it's good to bury things. We're going to bury this. So on the way out the door, drop yours in this makeshift grave. And then this week, as we come together as a staff, as our staff comes together for staff worship on Tuesday, we're going to cover it up. And I'm going to shoot you a video out to everybody saying, here's your offense. You buried it. We covered it up. Bury it so you can get over it, so you can forget it, and so you can move on because we all want freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom. All right, let's all stand together at all of our campuses. I want to pray for you. Pray for your, your freedom in your mind. By the way, by the way, next weekend, next weekend, Mark Croston is in the house. So you got to be back. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait.
So you'll be back next weekend. We're going to continue this series. Mark will be speaking on the next commandments. So be back. Let me pray for you. And then we're going to be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for how you simplify such confusing things for us. God, we thank you for the clarity that you bring to our minds. Lord, may we do what you said. God, may we not play the tape of we're offended, we're offended. May we not let anger get in our mind. May we not let hate get into our minds. And God, may we always, always keep those, that, that murder that, that scorns people. May we keep that far, far from our hearts. God, may our minds be free. May our hearts be pure so that we can worship and honor and glorify you with all that is within us. Because Lord, I speak for all of us at all of our campuses, local and global. Lord, we love you so, so much. Thank you for the way that you love us. And all God's people said, amen. If you want to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know at cfmemmy.org slash connect and filling out a connection card. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We love you and God bless.